Not even gonna say it. I I've said it three episodes in a row now in our fourth loss in a row. I'm not even gonna say it. What that it's a joyless franchise? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or try to think of the last time we had any fun. <laughs> I miss yeah. our victory song. <laughs> what? Uh, oh, uh, you're in a you're in a car right now. Just dropped off. Well, I'm parked outside of the apartment now. But hey, you sound better in whatever you're doing than you have on your expensive microphone in your house. Right. Thank you. iPhone slash AirPods slash. It's very strange, but Hey, welcome back to the dogs of war podcast. The number one Browns podcast in the world. That's right, folks. Just take our word for it. You got Kevin and Raleigh and we are on a four game winning streak and we are nowhere near anything good right now, man. Hey, I was just looking at the schedule. Did you say winning streak on purpose? No, I said we're – did I say winning streak? Yeah, yeah, it's a it's the total opposite of that, Kevin. That's my apologies, everyone. Everyone knows I meant losing streak, four-game losing streak. See, that's me subconsciously just dreaming of what it would be like to go on a four-game winning streak because we don't know what that feels like. So, yes, four-game losing streak. I don't see any hope on the horizon. I'm sorry. I said this year I'm just being a realist. Uh, glass half full, I will say, the boys came to play. On Sunday, they didn't just roll over and die with everything that's going on. They played hard on Sunday. Yeah. In fairness to the Browns, um, that was probably a loss where you can like complain the least amount about. Like they could have gotten killed there. The defense finally showed up, but it's like, you know, they still, team as a whole, didn't Mark do Andrews, anything. Mark Andrews, <laughs> zero catches. That doesn't happen ever. And ironically, he's on my fantasy team. Same. So I was like, wow, the Browns lost. And also they negated the one guy that's producing on my fantasy team. Shout out to my fantasy team. (laughs) I did that thing where uh, somehow I'm – I only have one loss or whatever that record shakes out to. But um, I won by a tenth of a point. And that fantasy team – showed grit determination there were a lot of key players that are either injured or on a bye week but the team did what needed to be done to get the win and i'm proud of them we're talking about your fantasy squad yes all right well congrats to your fantasy squad now unfortunately we can't live in a fantasy world although i wish we could in brown's land but hey i gotta tell you what it was very sobering today look i'm not saying the season is lost yet but Folks, let's it's time to start having some serious conversations here. I will say, I will say, a lot of trade rumors going on right now saying Kareem, Conklin, Greedy around the block. This isn't like the MLB, guys, gals, everyone. It doesn't mean we're just tanking and throwing the season away because we're putting a few guys up before the trade deadline. We have young, capable people behind them. The contract situations are what they are. This is not waving the white flag and throwing the towel because we're talking about trading a few of these guys at all. That has to stop. 
Two, very sobering moment as well is if you look at the schedule the rest of the season and just trying to find even a handful of wins. What, what do we have coming up? Uh, well, let's see, Raleigh. Our next few quarterbacks we're playing, Joe Burrow, Tom Brady, and Josh Allen. <laughs> yeah. As far as – I think that the uh, – well, I mean, I, I feel like there's no way that Brady keeps going on his losing streak. I, I feel like uh, – I don't know if we said this or if it was a meme. Actually, it might have been Muccio in a group text or you in the group text. The Browns are really good at helping teams build their confidence and catch some momentum. Like we did it with the Jets. Um, we did it with virtually every running back we've gone against. And I feel like Brady might mark that on his calendar as like, this is where I turned the season around. Brady is not coming in and losing to this defense. We have the worst defense in football. I'm not, uh, hey, I am all, I'm going to Monday morning, this whole game, I'm going to be chanting, you know, we're winning every game the rest of the year because we always do because we're sick. I'm just trying to be have some sobering truth here. Tom Brady's not going to come in and lose to this defense. But, hey, you never know. At this point, even if we don't make the playoffs, whatever, I just want to see that this team and this coaching staff who we may be married to can overcome some adversity and play meaningful – or not even meaningful like you're going to get in the playoffs, but show that you belong in this league because, holy shit, people act like we are missing one thing, a quarterback. It's like, ah, I think there's a lot more leaks on this ship than that, and do you have the capacity, the desire, the will to turn it around? Do you have the will to win a close football – a close football – when's the last time we've won a close football game? Well, uh, I guess the Panthers. Hey, I will say, this is also the first time ever in our lives that staring down the barrel of another lost season, knocking out wood, we actually have something to look forward to in a generational, one of the best quarterbacks in the league coming back at the end of the year, and then we'll be here, you know, in purpose for moving forward. So that's the light that we've never had before. We, the light used to be, man, who are we going to draft in the first round and screw up? Or who can we maybe talk into coming in here? Blah, blah, blah. Who's going to be our new coach every other year, except recently, of course. We have Deshaun to look forward to. Deshaun the player on the field. That's never <laughs> happened before. Deshaun the player. Uh, I hope he is what he's cracked out to be. Cracked I think he is. Be. I Look, I, Jacoby is doing everything he can. The defense is still up there in terms of offensive efficiency. Jacoby is a one, maybe two read quarterback. I'm not knocking him. He's a backup quarterback. Deshaun, like we've talked about before in this podcast, he can make a lot of things happen on a play. He can find options. He can find guys open that didn't even know they were open. He can make a play happen with his legs. He can do a lot. His arm is filthy. There's just going to be a lot of things we're going to look at when he comes in and starts playing. And we're just going to be like, oh, again, knock on wood. Like, oh, God, that's how this is supposed to go. One more thing on the offense. Uh, the people chanting run the ball. Nick Chubb gets more carries than anyone in the league. The problem there isn't so much the number of carries we're giving Chubb. It's that situationally, maybe. Again, I'm not a, I'm not a coach, a coordinator, but we went 18 minutes 
of game time on Sunday without Nick Chubb getting a touch. That just doesn't seem right. I, I don't care what the scheme is. I don't care what the game plan, the score, whatever that is. Your best player doesn't touch the ball for 18 minutes. That's just very, very, very confusing. That's all. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, back on, like, the upswing, positive upswing, yeah, silver yeah. linings. We need that. Uh, I think that even if we are mathematically eliminated from the playoffs, possibly – that I am feeling good at going into this Bengals game. I, I am actually – I'm not scared of them. About, I'm not I'm scared of this team at all. Um, Sean play, it's almost like a – it could be considered like a glorified preseason where it's like, okay, what are we going to be getting into next year? Mm-hmm. And hopefully it's good, and hopefully it's good next season because uh, if it's looks shitty this season, even if it's just because he's rusty, that's going to be a hard pill to swallow, and that'll be a much longer offseason. God, we're already talking about the long no, 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 but eliminated. Hey, I don't know if we said this in the last episode. Sorry to interrupt you. If you thought we've had long offseasons in the past, after <laughs> if we have a dumpster fire of the rest of the season and then Deshaun comes back, and whether he plays good or bad, this next offseason is going to be the biggest <laughs> what-if what is going to happen? What could be that we've ever seen? It's going to be the longest off season of our lives. I promise you. <laughs> like, and, and those other shitty off seasons. At least we had first round draft picks that were incredibly high due to an under. The hypotheticals team. and the scenarios that we're going to be throwing around this off season are going to be outrageous. And you know what? I'm pumped for it. Let's go. <laughs> so the other thing, somebody tweeted at me that I was like, "Wow, that, that checks out." He said. A couple of years ago, I changed my mentality with the Browns. Instead of being like live or die based off of them winning or them losing, which is pretty much what we do week in and week out, they started looking at it as just a form of entertainment in its purest form. Like, oh, wow, that was an impressive way to lose and embracing it. And I'm not necessarily saying, you know, look at them like a, total clown show that they kind of have been for the past 23 years or so but maybe that'll help you the listener you the fan us the fan have like a higher quality of life because this has just been goddamn miserable since the Cincinnati game last year we've swept the Bengals the last two seasons if memory serves correct that's why I'm not scared of them and not even because of that because that was a totally different team and teams I'm just not very intimidated by them. I know I should be because they're one of the best teams in the league. It's one of the best quarterbacks. The flip side of that is they haven't beat us in two years. Burrow's coming up with something that he wants to prove. So Monday night, Halloween in Cleveland, ESPN. Oh, God. Just, I just want to lay an egg on national primetime television. That's all. Like lay an egg. I thought that was a negative thing. No, I don't want to lay an egg on that. Oh, don't. Okay, good. Yes, no eggs to be laid also, by the Browns. For those of you, uh, the really big show on ESPN Cleveland Radio, if you – again, no free ads, but let's be real here. Get your hands on the Jimmy Donovan interview from earlier this week when he was on the really big show with Rizzo. Uh, maybe the best Brown segment I've heard in my adult life. I love Jimmy Donovan because he just keeps it real. He's a real one. He's going to say what needs to be said. And some very, very, very good points made by him, which I'm not going to steal and use. But we're uh, – I might as well give him a teaser. Uh, 
uh, he alluded to sorry to just derail you what you said not to steal anything because i don't know if somebody's going to actually listen they may if you listen to it great think of us when you're doing it um <laughs> what he said about training camp very interesting eagles, or excuse me the uh during the preseason the browns were playing the eagles they practiced with the eagles he said the entire eagles team the guys that weren't playing they were involved they were around they were focused they were disciplined whereas the browns players were like taking players off tangibly not as involved not paying attention not doing everything they can to get better and i got to tell you i believe them <laughs> and He's not the kind of guy that would just say things to hear his own voice, contrary right. to me. He calls a very fair game. And Literally. He loves this team, and that's such a – I'm like, is that a coaching thing? What? Is that a culture thing? Is that a both thing? What the hell? But His point was – it, it might. He, he said, he said I'm not saying this is why we're where we are, but he said the Eagles are an undefeated football team, and this is what they were doing. So that's the point he was making. So you can kind of, you know, decipher that as you want. We're about to get into a conversation, interview we did with Mo Egger, the voice of Cincinnati, the legend himself, where he has a different theory on preseason, um, kind of the opposite, which is interesting. You'll get to hear that here shortly. Uh, Raleigh, any final thoughts on the Ravens before we turn this into officially Bengals week and look forward to Monday Night Football? Uh, I know you're going to hear about and I know. So the interview already happened with Mo, but. I would be interested in the review section. If you guys want to leave us a positive review on Apple Podcasts, whatever, uh, with what Mo said about Zach Taylor as a head coach, it was, it's like us in a parallel universe with slight differences. Like, I thought that, did you think that was shocking or am I the only person that thought no, it was shocking? No, 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 because I, I saw your face when he brought that up and I, I said it. I go, here we go. Because you almost had a stroke. Yeah, I, I don't know if I got a complete sentence with how excited I was. One, because it sort of validated a bunch of thoughts I had been thinking. Um, but like he said, it's like, I got to imagine it's hard. Anyway, just listen to the damn interview. It's towards the end, but listen to the whole thing. Yeah, hey, let's keep it going. We got the interview with Mo coming up. Monday night, Bengals coming to town. Let's do this thing, man. We got to get something good to have. We can't go on a five-game losing streak. Come on. Let's kick it over to Mo. We will have the pregame episode on Friday. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, we now welcome on a very special guest. I think it's the third or fourth season now we've convinced him or tricked him on coming on this podcast. <laughs> you can hear him every afternoon from 3 to 6 on ESPN Radio 1530. You can hear him covering UC football and basketball on 700 WLW. He's the host of the Mo Egger podcast. He is also a fellow alum of the University of Dayton. Mr. Mo Egger. Mo, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. What's going on? Are we ready for Halloween night football? Yeah. Are you going to dress up? No. <laughs> are you going to be in Cleveland for the game? I wish I was. No. I will be coming off an evening of trick-or-treating and then uh, warming up with uh, the football game. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. So we, we got we got costumes. Just saying. <laughs> She's uh, she's gonna be a pumpkin. I may be a very good. A, a I've been there. Pumpkin. I've been there. We have a fourth member of the podcast today. It's uh, Rally's daughter Quinn. So we appreciate her joining as well. 
so, Mo, before we jump into Cincy Bengals versus the Browns on Monday Night Football, wanted just to roll back a little bit. Since the last time we've talked, uh, you've had quite a year. Um, University of Cincinnati went to the college playoff. Um, and then, of course, we all know that the Bengals went to the Super Bowl. Your childhood team, also a team you've been covering for, what, over two decades now? Yeah. Just walk me through what those two experiences were like, because that's got to be kind of a dream come true, to not just be able to see those teams go to those games, but then be able to cover them in your job. Yeah, it, it really was. It, it rejuvenated me uh, professionally. You know, I mean, when... <laughs> for most of my career, the teams have failed. The teams have lost. The teams have let us down. And so for, for both to do what they did in the same season was, was unbelievable. And and to be lucky enough to attend both the uh, college football playoff game. And then obviously the Super Bowl was, you know, it's, it's every football fan's dream. And, and it's, it's every, you know, that's, it's why you get into this business, right? It's ideally to cover fun things that people are interested in and, and you can be a part of. And so it was, it was awesome. Um, I always believed just because of how the NFL works, you know, there was a pretty good chance at some point in my lifetime, uh, despite their checkered history, there was a pretty good chance that the Cincinnati Bengals were going to play in the Super Bowl. I had at least seen that before when I was a kid. Uh, I was a massive skeptic that the college football playoff would ever include a school from the American athletic conference. And you know, in the NFL, it's just different. You you play your way in. For UC football, uh, they had to win every game, but they also had to have everything around them go right. And that's a lot to ask. And yet everything around them went right. And it was awesome. Um, would have been a lot cooler had they, uh, I don't want to say be more competitive because I, I certainly don't think they embarrassed themselves against Alabama, but would have been better had the game been a little bit closer. And certainly the Super Bowl would have been better had the Bengals finished the deal. But for both, to do what they did and and to just enjoy the excitement around here um, was, was so cool and uh, something I'll never forget something. Hopefully we, we can, we can maybe do again. For, for the record, I was kind of annoyed that the Bengals made it to the Super Bowl, but you <laughs> and like two other friends, I was genuinely happy for. So um, also the Bengals, did they limp in as like a wild card last year? They they didn't win the division, right? They did uh, with ten they wins. Did. You know, it's it's not like they ran away and hid. And you know, let's be honest, they they needed Baltimore to kind of collapse because of injuries at the end. But yeah, they uh, they won that tenth game week seventeen against uh, Kansas City, and then they finished the season by going to Cleveland. But yeah, they they went in as division champs. But their road to the to the to the Super Bowl, I mean. You know, first of all, they had to exercise, you know, three decades worth of demons just winning a playoff game. And then you had, you know, let's be honest, Tennessee was probably the the weakest top seed we've had in the AFC in, in a very long time. But still, you had to go there and win. And they did a great job against Derrick Henry. And, and then for them to do what they did in Kansas City, fall behind 21-3, where Patrick Mahomes and company were absolutely working them in the first half to come back and win that game in overtime um, defied the odds in an extreme way. And so uh, I, I'm not sure if, if, if the idea is to get back to the Super Bowl this year, that it's going to make all the sense in the world to, you know, pin your hopes on winning a couple of road games, including one against Kansas city in which you have to come back from down 18 points. But yeah, they, uh, that was, that was their road, but it started by winning the, 
winning the AFC North, which, you know, let's, let's face it. At one point they were five and four, um, kind of felt like the season was teetering on the brink after they lost to the Browns, got smoked by the Browns at home. And then, you know, they kind of gathered themselves. They were seven and four. They then lost consecutive home games to the chargers and 49ers. And you're sitting there at seven and six. And again, it felt like the season could go one of two ways. They ended up winning three straight games, beat the Baltimore Ravens, came back and beat the Kansas City Chiefs in the the first meeting between the two teams, but they also had to come back from down 14 points, and the rest is history. It was uh, was a lot of fun. That was a wild ride. What was – can you give us the uh, breakdown of the fan in you watching that Super Bowl game? Like, was it it enjoyable or was it anxiety (laughs) fast? You know, honestly – Yes, because, and, and, you know, I'm, trust me, I, I have a really great gig. So I'm going to say this and people are going to roll their eyes. I got out there late Tuesday night. And from that point, all the way until about four hours before the game, it was a lot of work and fun work, but, um, radio <laughs> row. Well, no, I've done shows at radio row before. I don't think there's a lot of value there, but I was, I was my own producer engineer, social media manager, chauffeur, travel agent, uh, guest booker, um, on, on top of just hosting the shows. And, and so I, trust me, it was a blast, but you know, for the first time in my life, I was in demand. So everybody wanted to talk to the Cincinnati guy in Los in Los Angeles. Um, it was just, not that I didn't enjoy myself and not that I didn't have a little free time, but I just, I was so busy that uh, I did a show from LA from what would be uh, eight to 11 in the morning. The game kicked off at like three 30. And so about four and a half hours before the game, I, there was just this huge exhale, like, okay, now I can just go to the game. And so part, part of me was just like, I was relieved that, the work part of this trip was done and now was the football. And so the first, I've been lucky enough to go to two other Super Bowls. This is the first one that I went to, and this is how stupid I am. I had a credential for the game. I didn't want to use it because I wanted to sit with my three best friends who were all out there for the game. So we had tickets um, for the first, you know, before the game, you're at the Super Bowl, you're kind of taking it all in for the first half. It's like, I still couldn't get over the, I'm here watching the Cincinnati Bengals in the Super Bowl. Like how weird is this? And then early in the third quarter, T Higgins rips off Jalen Ramsey's face mask, catches a long touchdown pass. Bengals go out in front and it was like, okay, uh, the Bengals are playing for a championship. And then the, the second half of the game, I didn't enjoy because they did take a lead, but they had for the first time all season, five consecutive drives where they didn't score points that didn't happen all year long. And then there was just this slow, just death where you're like, okay, they're going to have to get a defensive score and win this game. And if that doesn't happen, I don't like their chances, but even when they lost, um, I was heartbroken, but but I I didn't, I wasn't as crushed as everybody else because part of me was just kind of wrapped up in the euphoria of, I just watched the Bengals play in the Super Bowl, Right. And now, you know, days afterward, it's went back and watched it. You're like, man, they were this close to finally winning a championship. You never know when you're back in that place again. Why did they give the ball to Samaj P. Ryan and have him run right at Aaron Donald? There's all that stuff. But it, it was it was a, you know, corny, but 
it was a blast because of the people that I was with. I was with, you know, uh, three of my best friends watching the Bengals play in the Super Bowl. The only thing that would have made that better would be, you know, if my dad were still with us to watch it with him. But it, it was it was a remarkable experience and 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 one that I hope to replicate. But uh, I still think of more just the experience of being at the Super Bowl more than I do the game's outcome. But the game's outcome did suck. I can't even imagine that full experience. And yeah, I hope someday knocking on wood that we get to see that as well. But I can vouch for Raleigh and myself. We both said I, I have a brother-in-law who's a Bengals fan from Cincinnati. And then, so I said, there's two people I'm actually happy for right now. It's my brother-in-law <laughs> and Mo. I'll take it. Everyone else. I don't care. Um, so you guys go to the Super Bowl. Um, wasn't the outcome you guys wanted. And then coming into this game, of course, with every single t- team that goes to Super Bowl, win or lose, it's, are they going to have that hangover? You guys came out, obviously started slow 0-2 against Pittsburgh and Dallas. Was there ever real panic? Because for us, at least for me, you know, you look at the quarterback you have, the roster you have, the receivers, the back, and you're like, this is a Fugazi, a Fugazi. There's no <laughs> way that they're going to just, you know, it's going to turn around quick. What was the reaction after 0-2? Um, concern, I don't know, excuse me for a second, um, I don't I don't know that panic really ever set in. Now, I, I think, you know, they, they were 0-2. They went to New York to play the Jets. You lose that one, you're 0-3, in part because of the quarterbacks they were playing, right? It was Mitch Trubisky, Cooper Rush, and then Joe Flacco. Good God, you come out of that without a win. That's, that's kind of a problem. Um, yeah, thanks, Mo. <laughs> so I, I think the rational way to look at the first game was complete and total outlier. Joe Burrow turned the football over five times. They still would have won the game if their long snapper didn't get hurt. As bad as they were that day, they needed a lot of things to go against them that you don't expect to go against them, starting with Joe Burrow just being a turnover machine. He had five turnovers in that game um, behind an offensive line that underperformed relative to what the preseason expectations were. But I think the the rational way of looking at that was, okay, the offensive line will get better. These guys were not on the field together during the preseason. They will gel. Joe is going to play better. And that has slowly happened. I think, though, the difference between the Bengals these last two weeks and what they were the first five is, first of all, they finally started to take advantage of what defenses are giving them because everybody's playing these two high shells now in the NFL, but against the Bengals, it's what they play exclusively, which means you got to run the ball more effectively, which they did against Baltimore. Didn't so much against Atlanta, but they did against Baltimore and uh, in New Orleans. Number two, you got to take advantage of openings in the middle of the field. And they've started to do that. Um, plus they've figured out ways to get the ball to Jamar chase, which at times is just going to mean screw it, throw it downfield and let him go get it. Uh, the other thing is, and I think this is the really encouraging thing. This, this team had established a, a pretty long pattern of digging themselves holes deep in games uh, in large part because the offense spun its tires in the first quarter. Um, if you go back to prior to the game this past Sunday, their previous 16 games, including the postseason, they had fallen behind by two scores in nine of them, and they lost six of those games. That's not a way to live. They finally got off to a quick start against uh, the Atlanta Falcons, scored on their first two possessions, never really looked back, and Joe Burrow played great. I, I think it's it's a little bit easier to say now, but I think the main difference between the first few the first few weeks and, and what we've seen over the last couple has been Joe's played better. Now he's been protected better. 
And I think the most important thing for this team right now is offensively, they could not be healthier. Their defense kept them in a lot of games over the first five weeks. Uh, but mainly those first two games, I think you looked at it and said, the line is going to improve. Those guys will coalesce when it does. The quarterback play is going to improve. And those things have happened. So Joe's had two straight games now with 300 plus yards and three touchdowns. He just got crowned AFC offensive player of the week. Uh, Jamar Chase, no, no surprise, averaging you know, 86 yards a game. He's got six touchdowns on the year. Those two guys are turning up and, and playing well. And really no one's surprised by that. Joe Mixon has two touchdowns on the year. What's been going on with his production? It's a great question, and it's 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 maybe the the thing that I think has I don't want to say divided the fan base, but it's 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 been the the point of discussion that I think a lot of people have approached from different vantage points because you could talk about the play of the offensive line, but Joe is a, among the the worst in the league at yards before contact. Um, he's not making people miss. He's not getting yards after contact. He hasn't really broken. I think this team is tied for worst in the league and runs from scrimmage over 10 yards. Um, and against the Jets, the, the interesting thing to me, when they were salting the game away, it wasn't Joe Mixon on the field. It was Samaj P. Ryan. They just have struggled so much running the ball. And what's so frustrating about it is teams are begging them to run it, right? Opposing defensive coordinators will let the Bengals run and they still can't. I, I think it's, I don't like pointing at one player, one player or one individual or anything like that. The, the offensive line play has to improve. It has gradually gotten better. I, I also feel like the, their running game has to show a little bit more creativity than it has. And I think you're being fair if you wonder, has Joe, I don't like the term lost a step, but is he maybe not as good as he was? Have Has the years of dancing behind better offensive lines created some bad habits? Regardless of what it is, teams are coming into the games going, all right, Cincinnati, run it. And they haven't been able to for the most part. And well, uh, if that doesn't change, this offense is not going to realize its full potential. Well, luckily for you, uh, kind of the Cleveland Browns staple this year has been making, giving opposing running backs just career games and boosting their confidence. So that's like the one thing I'm just like, please don't <laughs> let Mixon figure it out this game. They've just been atrocious on well, I don't know. The Browns played pretty well defensively against Baltimore. Um, I haven't watched any of the film, but it's like, well, Mark Andrews didn't get a touch. But <laughs> Baltimore's running game's been kind of suspect outside of Lamar. Anyway, I'm just saying, yeah, I, I think the Bengals, if they win, it's gonna be by running it. Well, uh, if I think if you're any defense in this league, your game plan against Cincinnati right now should be let them run it. And so if the Bengals take advantage, I think it's going to be a long night for the Cleveland Browns. If they don't, um, you know, then you're going to put a little bit more on the shoulders of Joe Burrow and on the shoulders of that offensive line to, to pass protect. But yeah, it's, it's maybe the biggest question that this offense faces right now. Why can't they run it as effectively? And, and look, you know, Joe is, is never going to be one of those guys that's consistently ripping off, you know, 30, 40 yard runs, but, but they need more second and shorts. They need more third and shorts um, for the play action game to really work, which, you know, frankly, isn't a huge part of what they do right now, mainly because they're running anything, everything out of the shotgun. But if they, if they at all want that to work, they're going to have to run the ball more effectively. If they just want to, 
keep defenses honest, so to speak, they're going to have to be uh, a, a little bit more effective in that regard. And and that's that's been something that just it, it hasn't played with the exception of the Baltimore game and to a degree against New Orleans. Um, the, the running game has been uh, has been absent from from this team's offense. So in Cleveland this season at two and five has been asking a lot of questions, a lot of debate, a lot of things getting thrown around. One of the topics that came up has been none of our starters, really anyone playing in the preseason at all. And that really being a, a big or one of the deciding factors behind this record. On your show yesterday, you talked about the Bengals preseason formula and how, you know, maybe moving forward, it's going to be, you know, we use the first four games um, of the regular season as kind of that that preseason right there. Just talk about a little bit more about what you were saying about the preseason formula and how it's working for the Bengals. Well, and and I – It's situational. It's, it's not every team can pull it off. We get that. Sure. So th- what the Bengals did this offseason is, you know, they and the, the L.A. Rams just went through the longest NFL season ever, right? So mm-hmm. they started OTAs in May, and, you know, it, it was it was asked often in May and – and July when they reconvened for training camp, God, are things here maybe just a little bit too casual? There was a real casual feel to the entire offseason. They started OTAs late, uh, training camp practices, which obviously don't look like they did 15 years ago. Uh, even by modern standards was light. They didn't play any of their main guys during the preseason. They also dealt with, you know, Joe Burrow having an appendectomy right before uh, training camp began. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lyle Collins, their right tackle they acquired from Dallas. Uh, dealt with a little bit of a, of a back issue, but for a team that had uh, four new offensive linemen, it was startling, I think, for some how little and infrequent it was that that group was on the field together. So they played the first game against Pittsburgh. The Steelers with T.J. Watt in that defensive front just annihilate Cincinnati. Uh, the offensive line looked like a group of guys that just met each other. Um, Joe Burrow looked like a guy honestly, who had a uh, an appendectomy. He played poorly. Bengals offense played poorly. They lose the game. They start 0-2. It ignites this conversation about, see, the Bengals should have actually practiced more, and they should have played some of their guys in preseason games. Yep. And I certainly understand that based on how they played over the first two. But NFL teams don't spend the preseason preparing for the first two games. They spend the preseason preparing for the season. And what modern teams are doing now is they're willing to use the first three to four weeks to kind of figure out what they are. Um, hopefully get through the first couple of games and not sink your, your season entirely. And then get to where we are right now, middle of October, week six, week seven, week eight. You have a better idea of what your team is. And ideally you're really healthy. That's what the Bengals have done. This plan. I know nobody wants to hear this because of how they played over their first two weeks, but what modern NFL teams are trying to do, the Bengals have done every key contributor on offense going into this game on Monday is healthy. It has taken them time to to develop the sort of chemistry you're looking for, but the offensive line is slowly coalescing. The offense is slowly playing better. They're four and three. They're in a division that obviously nobody has run away with. They've got all their main guys on offense. They have most of their main guys on defense. This is, I think, how this is the blueprint for NFL teams. And by the way, the three games they lost, 
They all lost via walk-off field goal. They were 50-50 mm-hmm. games, coin flip games. Those games could have gone either way. I think I, I think what you've seen the Bengals do through seven weeks is reflective of uh, the preseason approach they took, which was we're going to prioritize health. We're going to use the first couple of weeks to kind of figure out what we are, build chemistry in games that count. Hopefully we don't fall into an 0-4 hole. We're, we're too talented to really do that. And then by the time we get to late October, we're going to be ready to roll. And that kind of feels like what what's what's happening right now. Yeah, no, and I I agree with that 100. And you know, the, the debate in Cleveland has been why didn't they play when it's a brand new quarterback, brand new players, blah blah blah. So that's been a, a quite the conversation lately as we try to figure out what the heck's going on. Well, it's really just not you know that great of a football team. But hey, flip other side of the ball real quick. Defensive tackle DJ Reader's out. Uh, linebacker Logan Wilson's a maybe for this Sunday. Well, the thing, if you look at the Cincinnati's defense, is how balanced it is. If you just look at the pull up the, the roster and the tackles, everyone on all three levels are, are getting involved. Um, and most impressively, you guys have not allowed a second half touchdown all season long. So you talk about that defense and where are they at from what your expectations were coming into the season? Um, you know, my expectations were pretty high. Continuity is such a big thing, right? So of their 15 most utilized players last season, 14 came back on defense. And look, I mean, you guys saw the run of the Super Bowl last year for all the, the pub and, 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 uh, and, uh, accolades that Joe Burrow and the offense got, they got to the Super Bowl in the strength of defense and special teams. They scored five touchdowns in the three postseason games. They won. They were in the Super Bowl. And had a chance to win the Super Bowl because primarily because of the defense. And they brought all those guys back with the exception of uh, of Larry Ogunjobi. I, I think the thing that stands out to me most about this defense, first of all, if you just, you know, you look at the depth chart, you look at the roster, there's no glaring weakness. Now, without DJ Reader, especially against a team like Cleveland that can run the ball effectively, well, you kind of worry about that. Without Logan Wilson, those are two really good players. But there's not a huge weakness. I mean, Dax Hill, they drafted in the first round this season, can't get on the field, can't get on the field because of how much uh, they like the pieces they they already have in the secondary. But what I like most about what they do defensively, and I don't think they get nearly as much credit for this. You watch this team week to week. You never see assignment errors. You, you never see must miscommunication. Be nice. You never, you know, a, a guy on the other team might make a great one-on-one play. It's the NFL. It happens. Um, Eli Apple might let a guy run behind him. That's what Eli Apple does. But I mean, he's your third and probably now moving forward, going to be more like their fourth corner Poor Eli. Some, 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 yeah. Sometimes a guy on the other team is just going to make a play that, that happens. Or sometimes a player is going to fall down or something. Sometimes an individual player will play a pass wrong or something, but you don't see assignment errors, communication errors. They're never out of position. Uh, you know, they're, they're not, you see teams all the time that are having to burn timeouts on defense because it just looks like, you know, not everybody's where they need to be. This team, it, it doesn't work that way. And the really impressive thing to me, you, the Browns played the Falcons. You guys know that's, that's not a team that brings a lot of offensive firepower, but even without Logan Wilson, who calls all the defensive signals, they didn't miss a beat. Now, again, you need him on the field moving forward and you're going to have to get DJ reader back. And I do worry about that uh, when it comes to Monday night but they've done a really good job of building depth. They've made some very good outside acquisitions. And Lou Anarumo has done a really good job of building a defense that can play a lot of different styles. If you go back to the postseason last year, playing against Derrick Henry, all right, 
we're going to put eight men up front. Derek, go ahead and beat us. And then against Kansas City, showing Patrick Mahomes all the different looks he showed him in the second half in an overtime of that game in uh, KC to uh, decide the AFC championship. I don't think Lou Anarumo nationally gets the run he deserves for what he's done with his defense. Yeah, and you know, when you think about Monday night and all these potential matchups coming up, I'm horrified with Najoku out with Wardstone concussion protocol. So it should be uh, quite the sight, hopefully not too scary of a sight for, for Browns fans. Um, one more question for you. Where are we at? Because I know, you know, the national media makes their own different headlines from the people that are actually in the day-to-day covering the team on the beat like you. Where is everyone at with Zach Taylor? I think – I think everybody is would agree Zach Taylor's head coaching responsibilities. He's he's done a great job. Uh, leadership, culture, setting the tone, having a say in roster decisions. There's not a lot to not like. I think if you were to really nitpick, uh, you would say, okay, a guy who's never been a head coach before, who is also the primary play caller, first of all, uh, would the offense function a little bit more efficiently if you had Brian Callahan, the offensive coordinator, call the plays? Uh, fair question. Until this offense really takes off, fair question. The other thing, though, is I'm maybe I'm in the minority. I think it's really hard in this day and age to be the head coach and have to manage the game and challenge flags and timeouts and the clock and everything and also have uh, your – your face in the the play chart. I think it's really hard. And there have been times this season where I've thought, you know what? Zach should be managing the game. Somebody else should be calling the plays. I think most Bengals fans feel that way. Oh my God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Cause that is what that's probably, I think. Yeah, here we go. That's probably the biggest debate amongst Browns fans. uh, The Stefanski criticism, what you just described Similar situation, except I believe that the offense efficiency, a lot of it can be attributed to Stefanski, but pretty much every other duty that a head coach should have, I think is failing. Like a team culture that doesn't really take much stock in winning. Um, and then, God, our defense, defensive coordinator, like, Personally, I think Woods, if he is the problem, him being on this team for three years, same thing with our special teams coach, that's an indictment on the head coach. Anyway, long story short, you just made me feel a lot less. (laughs) I think the other thing with Zach is, you know, remember, he spent a season as the offensive coordinator at the University of Cincinnati. And that was a terrible year. It was Tommy Tuberville's last season. Uh, I certainly don't put the failures of that team on Zach, who was only there for the one year. But that season, in this hyper-offensive era of college football, the Bearcats that year went 13 straight quarters without scoring a touchdown. Now, they didn't have great talent, but in college football, to go 13 straight quarters without a touchdown? um, And so when they hired him to be the head coach here, I couldn't help but default to, wait a minute, that guy that I used to sit there and go, how are they not getting a touchdown a game. Um, I think until this offense really takes off, the conversations are going to continue about should Zach be the play caller? And, and and whenever there's game management issues that come up and they have come up here, the conversation is, would Zach be better equipped to make a decision about 
something happening in the game that's not play calling if he wasn't also handling play calling duties. Mo, we appreciate your time greatly. I know you're very busy. Again, you can catch Mo afternoons on ESPN 1530. 700 WLW, the Mo Egger podcast. Thank you very much, sir, for joining us. Looking forward to uh, hopefully a great game Monday night with no injuries. How about that? That will, well, we'll sign up for that. Absolutely. Let's do it. For Mo, right. for Raleigh, for myself, thanks for listening to the Dogs of War podcast, and good night, Ohio. <laughs>